Trust you've had some helpful and rewarding and restful holidays. You may have seen, if you're still following the news over the holiday season, that just a couple weeks ago, Desmond Tutu, Archbishop of Anglican Archbishop in South Africa, passed away at age 90. Here's what the New York Times said. Desmond Tutu, the cleric who used his pulpit and spirited oratory to help bring down apartheid in South Africa, and then became the leading advocate of peaceful reconciliation under the black majority rule, died on Sunday in Cape Town. He was 90. Archbishop Tutu was baptized into the Methodist Church, but later his family joined the Anglican Church. He was ordained an Anglican priest in 1961, and later he earned a Bachelor of Divinity degree and a Master's in Theology from King's College in London. As the Anglican Archbishop of Cape Town, Archbishop Tutu led the church in the forefront of the black South African decades-long struggle for freedom, earning him a Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. In the early 1990s, he prodded the country toward a new relationship between its white and black citizens as chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. You can read more of it, but this is just a quick synopsis. He passed away on the 26th of December this past year. A day before, more locally, this was an obituary in the San Jose Mercury News, Helen Carter, aged 102, a resident of Fremont, California, passed on to her heavenly home. She graduated from Western High School and Maryland Institute of College and Art in Baltimore, Maryland. Helen painted many beautiful seascapes and portraits, but primarily she was a homemaker. She poured her life into her husband and four children. She was also a devoted follower of Jesus and invested many years teaching the Bible. She taught child evangelism fellowship Bible studies in her backyard and Sunday school classes at Peninsula Covenant Church. In later years, she taught women's Bible classes at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. She was also a substitute teaching leader in Bible study fellowship and was a speaker at many women's Bible conferences. She retired from teaching Bible classes at age 100. May her memory inspire us for many years. But when you think about these two obituaries, in one sense you can see great differences between Archbishop Tutu and Helen Carter. They're different ethnicities, different races, from different countries, even different continents. They have a different scale or scope of calling. They had a different renown, Archbishop Tutu being one who is known throughout the world for, as you can hear here, over decades. And his life was marked by significant, not only struggle, but also victory and achievement over things that were truly oppressive in South Africa. Helen Carter's life is much more localized, according to what we've just heard, being central here in Menlo Park and in, uh, in the peninsula focused on teaching Bible and mostly women and children uh, as her area of focus. I doubt many people, aside from a few folks here locally, have heard of her, unlike Archbishop Tutu. But what they have in common is a shared love of Christ and commitment to him. What they have in common, more specifically, is a baptism in Christ and a calling and a, and a a grounding in who he is that began with baptism. 
Now, why am I focused on baptism? In one sense, because this is in this Epiphany Sunday, in this first season of Epiphany, where Christ is revealed to the Gentiles, the texts focus us on the fact that he was baptized. And out of that baptism comes his command that we as his disciples would be baptized. And if you're a believer, chances are you've been baptized already, although not necessarily all believers have. But I wonder when the last time was that you thought of your baptism and what that means and how important and significant that is. Maybe it's like when you download an app or something and they they have you, you must read this and you have to click to accept. And when you click the little accept button, it says, I have read everything here and I accept it. And you just, if you're like me, you scroll to the bottom, you click to accept and then you move on. Having never read a word really of what that actual terms and conditions page is. Sometimes, particularly if our baptism has been long in the past, we can kind of just think, oh yeah, I checked that box. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad I'm baptized. I did it in commandment to the scripture. And now I don't think about it. But I want to spend our time today thinking about it because it is significant in our life. It's significant in terms of the way it inaugurated Jesus' ministry. You know that this, this episode of his baptism, both in, it's in the synoptic gospels, always at the beginning, because it inaugurates his life of ministry. It's sort of the next data point that we have of his life after we hear of him as a child or being uh, presented in the temple, which is what we looked at last week. And so as we understand more about his baptism, we understand what he's doing in our baptism and what he continues to do. I think there's three things I want us to look at in our time together. When we want to understand our baptism, we need to first understand it as as it's typically presented as a sacrament of cleansing, as being purified and washed. That's important, and there's implications for that today. It's really important that in our time, we move just from sort of a doctrinal appreciation, like this is interesting and that might be cool, I hadn't thought about that for a while, um, to, okay, this is how I access that. This is what this means to me. So we're going to look at what it means to have the sacrament of cleansing. The second thing that his baptism and our baptism signify is that it is a sign and seal of belonging to Jesus. It is that time where we said publicly or usually in a public setting that I belong to Christ or maybe your parents or godparents said that for you. But it is a public sign and seal belonging to him. And finally, we'll look at the fact that particularly if you just reflect on what Cindy read in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' baptism was also an anointing for a life of service. And in a very real way, when we are baptized, God is anointing us in a similar way. So let's, let's press into this idea of what is it our baptism means? What is it that God is doing in us and through us when we say, Lord, I belong to you and I'm making a public declaration or when our parents did that on our behalf? I started with the sac- that it's a sacrament of cleansing. It is, it is essentially how we respond to the gospel, to the good news. Remember, if you, if, if you look at Acts, there's numerous times in, the, in that book where Peter is preaching or Paul is preaching and the spirit is moving on the hearers and they say, how do we respond? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. 
Ananias, when he confronts Saul, who has been, had his literal road to Damascus experience, says, and now what are you waiting for? Kind of like the bluntness of the New Testament. It says to Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So when we say baptism is a sacrament of cleansing, we literally mean just that, that the things that we have done, the things that we have thought, the things that when upon reflection we're ashamed of, the words that are no sooner out of our mouth than we think, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that again to the person that I love. All those things, we could probably add our own little lists to that. Baptism reminds us that all those sins we have been cleansed from. Our sins from the past, our sins that we're still wrestling with now in this present, and sins and, and things that we will do in the future, though we try not to. Past, present, and future, our baptism signifies a cleansing from the effects of those. Paul says in Romans that we've been baptized into Christ's death, that the death he died was to allow us to have that cleansing if for all time. This is why we only need to be baptized one time. We don't have to re repeatedly get baptized. We'll say the creed a little bit later this afternoon, and it says, I believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And that is an amazing revelation of the Lord. It's like, really, I can't believe, Lord, that all I have to do, that, that baptism is that effective cleansing. But it is an agreement, as an acknowledgement, as a receipt from the Lord. The Lord, I want that cleansing. Cleansing, it, it, it's coming out of a bit of a Jewish tradition, as you might appreciate. You know, in the Old Testament times, when somebody sinned, they would have to go usually cleanse themselves, do a, a ritual of some kind of purification. And that was not only a washing away of the sin or offense that they'd committed, but it was also, as a result of that washing away, a restoration. A restoration to the relationship with God and a re restoration to the relationship with their community. So washing is significant and it has its antecedents in the history of Israel, but now it has its basis in Christ. Now, I doubt that things that I've shared with you are particularly new, though I trust that they're a helpful reminder. Where I think we can apply this, certainly what was on my heart when I looked at this and thought, how, how, do, how do I make this current today? And I think it is to have the courage of self-examination. To be called out to, to know that all my sins have been forgiven, that our sins have been forgiven, should give us an encouragement to say, Lord, okay, examine my heart. If there's something, an offensive way in me, reveal it to me. Show me. I don't want to be afraid anymore. But let's be honest, how often are we timid or afraid of that? I don't want to go down that road. You know, there's kind of like the metaphorical closet full of stuff. We actually have a closet full of real stuff that's <laughs> in our hallway. Don't look at it next time you're there. But you can open the door and you can see a lot of things. It's not packed, but down below, there's just a lot of things we've sort of piled in there. Sometimes our lives feel like that closet piled full of stuff, and we don't even want to open it. Like I just Stuff's going to fall out. It's going to be a mess. I don't want to see it. But if we realize and recognize that God has forgiven us and cleansed us from all our sins... The only, then we have really no other choice but to say, Lord, okay, I want to take that and I want to, I want to apply that to places that I've been resistant. You know, why does it feel at times like our progress in becoming more like Christ appears to us so slow? 
Why do we find ourselves wrestling with the same ungodly thoughts or patterns of sin? And I think much of that explanation lies in the fact that we don't want to open that closet. We don't want to have our life unexamined. But baptism gives us that courage because it says, the Lord says, let's take a look. He says to us, you've been baptized. Your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed. You know what? You're not going to find out anything I don't know about already. In fact, you might think it's scary, but all that's going to be revealed is sort of your pride structures that get erected so that we don't have to face the fact that we really are from God's holiness perspective, much worse than we would give ourselves credit for. We we like to grade on the curve. We hope that God grades on the curve, but he doesn't. He has a holiness standard. What he wants us to do is just to say, come with me. Let's look at what's going on. Those of you that are familiar with the 12 steps in AA, which some of you know was actually taken from a discipleship program in the 19th century, Uh, and later perfected in the 20th. One of the tenets of it is take a fearless inventory. In other words, in order to make progress, to be somebody different than how you came in, to get out of this addiction, to be stop being alcoholic, you need to look at your life. Take a fearless inventory. We don't want to take an inventory because we're afraid. And baptism says to us, there's nothing to be afraid of because anything you're going to discover has already been forgiven. And oh, by the way, some of the things you'll discover actually aren't sins. They're just these sort of structures that you think you need to have in order to be the person you think you need to be. But who each of us needs to be is the person that God has ordained us to be and the person he's made us to be. So pray the prayer of Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How do I apply my, this baptism that I've been given, this cleansing of all my sins, past, present, and future? It's to say, Lord, I don't need to live in them. I just need to start, with your help, examining them. We've talked, I think, in the past about the daily examine, one of the Ignatian exercises. Before bed, you look at, you look at your day, not in great detail, but just like, Lord, where was I closest to you today? Where did I sense your connection, your love? And then you have to ask the other question. Where, where did I sense being far apart from you? What interaction did I have that I just know you're like, huh, probably not my best moment. And know that at the end, that examine closes with a sense of, but thank you, Lord, that I'm in you and that you have forgiven me. And nothing that I've done uh, that has been offensive to you and hurt other people has remained uncovered. You've covered it by your death on the cross. So thank you, Lord. I can start anew. There's no penance I need to do. The second thing we're looking at is, baptism reminds us of our cleansing. The second one is, it is a sign and seal of our belonging. Through baptism, of course, we belong to Jesus. It's an official membership in his kingdom, if you will. It's a credential, if you want to think of it that way, for saying that I belong to the Lord. How do you know if you went to a college or any kind of school, how do you know if somebody's asked that you went there? Well, you can show them your diploma. You can show them the credential. You can show that diploma says that you did the work, you were part of this community, you did the work, and now you're part of the alumni group. Fantastic. It is essentially a sign and a seal that you belong to that educational community, that scholastic group. Baptism, in a sense, is our seal 
that we belong to God, to his heavenly kingdom. We belong to him now and we belong to him forever. And it's so important for us to, I think, grab hold on, uh, grab a hold of that because in this day and age, there's so many competing things that you can belong to. There's all kinds of groups and ideas and philosophies that are making an ultimate claim on belonging. That if you, they're essentially saying the same thing. If you just belong to this, you will have what your heart's desire longs for. You will have what you were made for. I mean, it can be something as benign as, as sort of a, some kind of coaching and life philosophy, or it can be something as malevolent as a political, uh, tyrannical, totalitarian mindset. It runs the gamut. Each of us is born into certain groups, and by virtue of our background, our ethnicity, the place we're born, the family we're born into, these all have a temporal aspect to them. But when we're baptized into the community of God, when we are sealed, and when, we, when he says through that baptism, you belong to me, he's making an eternal claim on our lives. And so I, I call out the, the, the enticement of the temporal should never be greater than, than the knowledge that we belong to the eternal. We belong to Jesus and we belong to his community. And we belong there through baptism. I think it's important to call out in this day and age because of these competing uh, allegiances that are out there. Because when they get strong, it's important for us to say, as sometimes is said in baptism when the priest goes with the aspergillium and says, dips it in water and, and you know, puts water in everybody and he says, remember your baptism. Like there's times we need to say that same thing. Remember my baptism. Who do I ultimately belong to? Who do I belong to now? Who have, who have I been sealed by? And that's the kind of thing that should prompt us to, to give glory to God for our baptism, to encourage people to be baptized. If you come from an evangelical tradition, sometimes you know, there, there's the doctrinal discussion about, hey, well, does everybody need to be baptized to be saved? And... I think the weight of scripture and theologians say there is such a tight, hard to separate connection between redemption and baptism that it makes the question kind of moot or, or somewhat theological at best. And people bring out, well, what about the thief on the cross? You know, he didn't get baptized and he's with Jesus in paradise. Like, great, but that's not, you know, the Lord can do what he wants to do, but he has commanded his apostles to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Actually, that, it's a wrong question to say, does everybody need to be baptized? The right question is, why not be baptized? Why, how is it, why wouldn't I want to be baptized given the rights and privileges corresponding there too. A sign and seal of our belonging. Third thing, and the last thing that we'll cover in baptism, is it is, anoint, it is an anointing for a life of service. Look at when Jesus is being baptized by John. The heavens open up. The voice of God, the Father, comes down. Says, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, descending as a dove, lights upon him. This is anointing imagery, anointing event, and anointing language. Acts 10, uh, when uh, Peter's talking about Cornelius, the Gentiles coming into faith, he, there, he says, and has, how, he sees how God has anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and then he sees the Holy Spirit descend on Cornelius and his followers. Anointing is a commissioning 
if you will. It is a blessing. It is a commissioning for a life of service, and it comes with a blessing. Recall the Psalm 89 that we said together. The first part says, I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil, I have what? I've anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. So there's an anointing. There's a commissioning. Jesus is, this happens at the beginning of his ministry because he needs this. He needs to know or he needs to have reinforced the fact that he belongs, he's part of the triune God. This is the time in scripture where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit manifest in an amazing way. And he is a part of that. And we need to know that he is a part of that. And it is an anointing. You know, he is, it is before his ministry of salvation, his ministry of redemption on our behalf. And so Psalm 89 anticipates that. I found David my servant. Jesus is successor to David. I've anointed him with sacred oil. He was baptized. That's his anointing in, this, in the Lucan text. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. Now suddenly, this anointing and this commissioning is going through hostile territory. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to have difficulties. It's going to have enemies. It's going to have people that really don't want what Christ is coming to bring. And the same is true for us. That the anointing that we, that, this, that we have an anointing, when we get baptized, the Lord is saying, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just so that we would have some sort of private devotional life with Christ. It is that, but it's not only that. It also includes an anointing to be used by him as part of this discipleship movement that's now 2,000 plus years old to go into the world and make disciples. And we will experience, to some measure, the same things that Christ did. We will have enemies that want to get the better of us. We'll have the wicked that seek to oppress the Christians. There's foes that want to come very deliberately against what we are doing, what we are standing for, what we are speaking about. But we should be encouraged, as Christ was encouraged, that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter whom I made for this time. This is my beloved child who will be a witness and grow up into a person who will be widely and well used of the gospel. There's so many things that start with baptism. It's an anointing, it's a commissioning, it's an inauguration. So let us not forget that we're being anointed. We're not, you know, you don't get baptized just to be a consumer. You get baptized to be a participant. By, by saying yes to baptism, you're saying, Lord, you got my life. I, I don't just want, as if this were possible, I just don't want forgiveness and I'm going to go live it the way I want. No, you get everything. I want the forgiveness because I need to be in alignment with you. And I want you to lead me as only you can. Help me get out of my own way would be a nice way to put that. Baptism starts a life connected to Christ, a life that he will use in ways that we don't know and cannot foresee. Some things we can uh, in terms of, you know, if you're connected to a life partner, if you've got a vocation, chances are the Lord will, you know, that, that's part of his longer term call. But even in those particular aspects of vocation and calling, there's all kinds of things that he can do to glorify him. So we don't know how he uses our life, whether he uses it to the magnitude of blessing that Archbishop Tutu was to 
the nation of South Africa and frankly to the world, modeling reconciliation, doing so out of his connection with Christ, doing so out of that commissioning. And it started with his baptism. Or we don't know if our lives would be like Helen Carter, a little bit more local, but no less important to those children and those women to whom she ministered. The Lord has his plan. The Lord invites us to be a part of that. And that first step is baptism. And to us who I'm making an assumption here that most of us have been baptized, I pray that in this week ahead, as we celebrate the baptism of our Lord, we would think and reflect anew of the fact that he's cleansed us from all our sin. And it gives us the the heart to look at stuff that's still out there that still needs to be brought under his lordship. I pray that we would know that he has sealed us and give us a sign that we belong to him above all other allegiances. And finally, that he has anointed us for a life of service beyond what we can think or ask or imagine. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrament of baptism, that outward sign of an amazing inward grace. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.